he's like popular. My man, Young Gravy. You tell me. <laughs> oh, man. You know, why not? Well, Young Gravy to kick out the Monday show. Happy, uh, happy new week. Uh, the Beat of Sports. I'm Mark Daniels. That's Chris Vasquez who's sitting in for uh, Scott Harris uh, today. Scott enjoying another day off of an extended weekend. We'll be back tomorrow, I think. Uh, but uh, Chris is here. <clears throat> How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we got a busy show today. A lot of stuff with the football we're going to get to. I got a basketball game tonight. UCF opens up their season. We'll have that game here. Um, tip is... Just add for eight o'clock. There's a women's game before UCF plays. Uh, the men play UNC Asheville uh, tonight. So college basketball's here. Actually, the first college basketball game is in two hours and twenty three minutes. Baylor plays at noon today. Eleven a.m. Central is when they start. But uh, anyway, big uh, big football weekend, which we'll get to. Uh, a lot of things in college football. The Monday Notebook is up at ninety six thegamecom dot com. A look around the state. Some of the college football notes. Hope you'll click that on and enjoy that. Uh, we'll get to. Wins by UCF, uh, Florida, Florida State. Um, not a good game for Miami, obviously, and some other national college football stuff. The Georgia beatdown of Tennessee, uh, the incredible LSU victory going for two against Alabama, and uh, what that means to the national championship uh, picture. Houston Nutt, who's speaking at the Orlando Touchdown Club tonight, at the tap room at Dubstrad is going to join us at about 10.35. We'll talk with uh, the former coach about some of those SEC games and some other college football storylines and um, much, much more. So, Chris, how was your weekend? You all right? It was good. Produced a UCF game Saturday. Spent all day in the pool and watching football all day yesterday. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. A nice pool day. So we went uh, uh, Friday. We get to Memphis. And... Um, we hadn't settled on a place to go eat because uh, Corky's, I'm a big Corky's fan, dry rub ribs, uh, is normally a destination. Well, Corky's is still, is still being rebuilt from the fire they had. Now, the drive through and walk-up's open, and it was an option for us to actually go and get food and bring it back to the hotel. A few other restaurants. But we settled on uh, Central Barbecue, and uh, good. I got the three-meat platter. Well, what were the meats? Uh, pulled pork, brisket, and uh, baby back ribs, dry. And I got to tell you, the ribs are fantastic. Really, really good. With uh, mac and cheese and green beans. And their green beans are sweet base green beans, which is really good. So, uh, ate a lot. It was one of those like, wow. You know? <laughs> um, but it was good. And uh, the crew and some others had a really good uh, meal there. You're a coleslaw fan? Am I what? A coleslaw fan? Uh, Yes. Like barbecue restaurant coleslaw. Yeah. But so we get back and we knew the weather forecast. There was a long stretch of storms that was coming up. And from like 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., woo! 60 mile an hour wind gusts, some hail, and the rain just like pounding against the uh, window. And then. then uh, Saturday morning when we got up and take the early bus, which was six hours before the game, a uh, little bit of rain. And security wanted to do, because our bus was going to pull into the stadium and drop everybody off for the crew to advance in the locker room, and then we go up to the press box. So they did a security check. 
So they brought a police dog. Chris, this German Shepherd, I'm telling you right now, you could put on two of those protective outfits that you see in mm-hmm. training. I wouldn't go anywhere near this dog. <laughs> this dog just looked at you and you're like, you win. Whatever you want, man. Like this dog could have wanted to sit on the bus for the rest of the day and I would have had no problem with it. Like that dog walked around like, anybody want a piece of this? And you're like, no. We're good. <laughs> like one of the largest police dog German Shepherds I've ever seen. Like, wow. I was impressive. Um, and uh, the Liberty Bowl is... Old, you know, small press box. They fixed up a few things along the way. Uh, but, you know, if I don't have to go back and do a game there, then that's okay. Of course, they've got a partnership with the Big 12. We joke like the first bowl game UCF will play in the Big 12 will be the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> anyway, um, but but the weather ended up being nice. It was sunny. It got cool a little bit. Got in the upper 50s and so forth. And we'll get to the game. Um, and all that happened uh, there. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, high school football playoffs. The pairings are announced. We have some great matchup of our local team. J.C. Carnahan will be here on Friday to preview all of the action. But we just got just some incredible local matchups. Uh, Lake Marion, Haggerty, Apopkin, Boone, Winter Park, and Lake Brantley. Um, Olympia got in. So that, uh, West Orange. So lots of good matchups. And we'll talk about that on Friday with J.C. as the brackets were announced uh, yesterday. Astros won the World Series. I mean, I can't stand the Phillies, so I guess if a team had to win. Uh, I may not have been wrong. Uh, after the audience was okay to start, this will end up being uh, one of the lowest-rated World Series ever. Yep, I can see that. Um, but, okay. You know, we do have a, a, a subtropical storm out there. A, a subtropical storm, Nicole. Which, see have you that. seen the projected path? Uh-uh. So... In the Atlantic, coming across the state, and then turning right to go back up the state. No, oh, geez. Do you know what a subtropical storm is versus a tropical storm? Um, a little education here now. Not quite as okay. Heavy so rain. a tropical storm has a warm core in the middle. Okay. A subtropical storm has a cold core. There's a big difference between the two. I guess sub like sub zero, like cold. Sub-Zero, great character in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man. Um, but, or Mortal Kombat. But a tropical storm, warm uh, core, subtropical is a cold core, and we may get tropical storm warnings. So as this week goes along, the weather's going to get worse, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is the bulk of this big storm that's going to come across the state and turn and come back across uh, again and hopefully be out of here by Friday morning. But by the time we get to Wednesday, it's going to get a little ugly. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, can I play two calls for you? Yes. And then you decide which is better. Okay. Okay. So I didn't see the game live, and actually I was watching a little bit of it uh, yesterday when Fox, uh, when FS1 played it back, but MLS Cup, the, uh, the championship, was Philadelphia and LAFC. And some are saying it, it, it's not just one of the best MLS Cup matches, but one of the greatest MLS matches ever played. They... It's 3-3, go to penalty kicks, and LAFC wins in penalty kicks. They went 3-0 in penalty kicks. But it's an incredible match. It's 2-2 in extra time. So you play 90 minutes, then it's 15 minutes, then 50 minutes. Well, Chris, you know, there's extra time for injuries and things like yeah. that. So Philadelphia scores in the 124th minute. And there's 
nine extra minutes put on them. They scored the 124th minute. So L.A. has to try to get an equalizer here, okay? Gareth Bale, um, years ago, used to be a really good European player. He's on the backside of his career now, but playing in LAFC and as a name and so forth. I'm going to play the two Spanish calls. Okay. Because as only that broadcast can do it. This okay. is from Univision. This is the goal that ties the game that then leads to penalty kick, uh, uh, a shootout, which LAFC won. But, but this is Univision's call first. Pretty good. That is a great call. That's pretty good, right? Okay, here's LAFC Spanish radio and the call. What do you got? Nah, Univision call, First hands one? down. The excitement. I feel like we don't get that those kind of calls on our broadcasts. Both serenade you in a way that just hooks oh. you. One more time. Oh, please. <laughs> Okay, he goes 19 seconds. That is fantastic. That is 19 seconds. I want to hear Joe Buck hold a <laughs> touchdown for 19 seconds. That was 19 seconds. Oh, that's Putting great. That thing out there, huh? Wow. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> and uh, LAFC again won in penalty kicks. 3 nothing. Wow. How about that? All right. Um, we'll dive into the weekend. It was uh, college football around the state. Uh, victories for the Gators, the Knolls, the Knights, not the Canes. 
All that and more coming up next. Everybody get up. The Bain of Sports, Martin Daniels on this uh, Monday. Brought to you by our good friends at Seminole Power Sports. Number one in Fast Fun, Reinhardt Road in Sanford, Highway 441 in Eustis. Visit them online at SeminolePowerSports.com. And great time with the holiday season to stop on by Seminole Power Sports. Chris Vasquez sitting in for Scott Harris, who's out today, be back tomorrow. Uh, no Cowboys, no Giants this weekend. This is a. I mean, obviously, I love football, but I always hate the bye weeks for my team. Because you feel like, that's eh, it's not a good week of football. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there was, a, losing, like, eh, I mean, there was a lot of great finishes in the yeah, NFL this week. You know, yeah, I didn't play. Yeah. I just want my yeah. Cowboys to yeah. play. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to get to the NFL a little bit. Uh, let's get to a little bit of the college football that was this weekend. Um, and I want to get to UCF just a second. A little bit of chronological order here. I did get to see three-quarters of the Florida-Texas A&M game before my attention was more about the start of the UCF game, but that Gator game kicked off at noon. And I said this to Mike Bianchi uh, before, Florida owes nobody an apology for beating a shorthanded Texas A&M team. Um, it's not like the Gators are celebrating a conference championship, but they don't owe anybody an apology. Yes, there's an unfortunate flu outbreak on the campus at Texas A&M, that impacted the football team were more than two dozen, I guess, up to, what, 30, 31 players, depending on which report is accurate, that Texas A&M didn't have for this game. And a lot of the key positions on the two deep, they weren't just down one. They were down four defensive ends. Uh, and Florida pulls away in the second half and wins. And... For Billy Napier's team in a first year, trying to build on the positives... I said this about Anthony Richardson, who, because of the position, is going to be the focus of the good and the bad. And while I do think some criticism of Richardson has been warranted this year, I do think in the last three football games, Anthony Richardson's played better. He's not throwing for 300 yards a game and running for 125. He's got four touchdowns, which is not a lot in three games, but four touchdowns, no picks. And in the game against Texas A&M, he had the big long run for a touchdown, another run for a score, uh, had one touchdown pass. He was efficient. And you can say, well, you know, to be more than efficient. Well, that may be where your expectations have had to adjust themselves. Uh, You want Anthony Richardson to keep getting better. Two, if he thinks that he's leaving to go to the NFL draft to be a first-round pick for him, he wants to keep playing better to improve his stock. Uh, if he's coming back, and every respected person that does mock drafts still thinks Anthony Richardson is a first-round draft choice, and that's up to him to decide if it's worth it, whether you're on the back end versus the first half. And if you are projected to be in the first half by the NFL, you got to really strongly consider that. But if he's coming back, then you want him to continue to get better so that next year he would have that full year under his belt um, of experience. Uh, Florida's defense played well against an A&M team shorthanded. I don't know if you can say, hey, getting rid of Brenton Cox, look what happened to the Gator defense. They were okay. Okay, They didn't exactly play Georgia-type defense. But it's a win for Florida with two games now coming up that are winnable games against South Carolina and Vanderbilt that would then make Florida 7-4. and four. 
going into what might be a eight and three Florida State team, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, and you want to feel positive at the end of the year, and it's been bumpy for Billy Napier's team, but uh, they've played a challenging schedule. And with two winnable games coming up, you'd hope that Anthony Richardson plays better and you have something to build on. So no apology needed for beating a, a, a shorthanded Texas A&M uh, football team. Um, all right, let's get to the UCF game. And quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRRHD2, Coco Beach, Orlando sports leader, Mark Daniels, and the Beat of Sports. Uh, Memphis is a decent football team. Got a really good quarterback. They came off a of bye week. They'd won their last eleven coming off a of bye week. They were thirty nine and six. Their last forty five at home. UCF had two of those six losses that they handed to them. And Mikey Keene gets the start. Uh, Mike Bianchi was asking me in the bridge about John Rice Plumley. He was cleared medically to to, to to return to practice. He didn't practice much during the week because he didn't get cleared till midweek. On Thursday, the last kind of full day of your practice, uh, again, he'd been out for four days, didn't get a ton of work in. The walkthrough Friday was just at the walkthrough. So Gus Malzahn knew who he was going to start at quarterback. He didn't tell the media, didn't tell anybody, and that's his right to do so. If you were watching and you had to have been there, when the team warmed up before the game, John Rice Plumley was dressed, was in uniform, and did all the drills, but he basically ran with a third unit. So you had an idea what the plan was going to be. <clears throat> if needed, he could have played. And ideally, I think UCF was hoping to win the game with Mikey at quarterback and not use John Rice Plumley. And Mikey Keene, again, did things to help UCF win. He saved a season in a way last week against Cincinnati and in a way did it again because it was a road game at Memphis, where things can go sideways, UCF's opening drive, they march down the field and everything's easy. The second series, he gets sacked twice, looks rattled, and then has to kind of recalibrate himself. And again, he didn't throw for 350, but he made some big time throws when UCF needed it. Now, the game gets really interesting. It's 21 21, momentum for Memphis late third quarter. They're driving on the UCF side of the field. They get a six-yard run by Asa Martin, former Miami back, and there's a flag. It is a rare targeting call on an offensive player, blocking tight end for Memphis, and, and it's the right call. He he, he hits Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, UCF linebacker, and they go and review targeting. Then they spot the ball the wrong spot, and Gus Malzahn's like, that's wrong. Ten-minute delay, and Gus was right. They put the ball back at the 42-yard line. Instead of first and 10 for Memphis, instead of first and 10, which would have been a really key moment there in the game, instead of first down and 10 inside UCF's 30-yard line, the ball is now back at the 42, and now it's second and 19. And Memphis gets an incomplete pass. And then a run for three yards, and then Ryan Silverfield does something really interesting. Um, he goes for it on fourth and sixteen at the thirty-nine. He said after the game, he goes, "It's one of those gray areas about you know, do you punt that close? Uh, you know, do you go well? Maybe on fourth and six and fourth and nine, 
He was on fourth and 16. And instead of trying to punt the ball, because he said, well, if you punt in the end zone, it's a net of 19 yards. It's still a net of 19 yards, but they went for it. Pass was short, and UCF takes over. They score six plays later to go 28-21. Led 35-21. And again, a couple of big passes. The touchdown pass of Mikey Keene to Kobe Hudson. It's a beautiful over the second level. Uh, That's a great catch. And then the pass to Javon Baker is, that is a highlight real and then some. It's an unbelievable pass by Keene. It's a great catch by Javon Baker. And um, now you're up 35-21. But Memphis scores in 90 seconds. And with three-plus to go and all timeouts, chooses to kick off. Uh, and then UCF needs to move the ball to get a first down. Otherwise, going to give it back to Memphis. And it just has the vibe of, hey, if you give it back to them here, um, they can move down, score, and they might go for two and win the game. So... UCF finds himself in a spot on third down and nine and got to make a play. And after an interesting call that Gus Malzahn later said, hadn't called that screen play, expected a certain defensive uh, look by Memphis, which wasn't. They changed their look defensively, and Gus said afterwards he was like, "Uh uh-oh, but Mikey Keene drops back. Here comes pressure. He rolls out to his right. Alec Hollow, the tight end, comes off a block, actually gets shoved by another Memphis defender, and he turns and catches the ball at the 19. Well, he's got to get to the 35 because of the drop back and the pass. He He's 16, he's 16 yards in the first down. Uh, and on the broadcast, I said, that's not going anywhere because the first tackler should have made the tackle for a loss of seven. Um, and that guy misses. The second guy takes a bad angle, and Holler gets past him. Well, now he's got some room. Now, what looks like it's going nowhere, he's at the thirty-one, and there's a t- and, and there's a Memphis defender that is right there to make a tackle. Except he goes low, and Holler hops and rolls and lands on his back shoulder across the 35-yard line for the first down. Now, UCF got one more first down. Isaiah Bowser ran for 19 yards two plays later that really put the game away, but that, in essence, did. The holler catch, which he called the holler hop, and as I said in my column today, if you make the play, Chris, do you agree? If you make the play, you can call it whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So Alec called it the um, holler hop. Trademark that. Yeah. Well, he put the little TM next to his nice. tweet uh, to call it that. You want to play the uh, clip? Yeah, well, yeah. I was good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you play it. Matthew Lillard. Did they throw? He's going to throw. Mikey in trouble. Throws out. That's not going to get anywhere. Out of Holler. Breaks a tackle. 30-yard line. He died first down. He got it. Alec Holler leaps over would-be tackler. Oh, my goodness. What a play. First down. Gain of 10. Again, when he catches the ball, it looks like he's going to lose seven yards, and you're going to punt, and they're going to get the ball back with a lot of time, and you got to make big plays. So Alec Calder made a big play, and, uh, and UCF wins. Big win for uh, the Knights. They stay in control of their destiny and sets up for a huge game against Tulane, who uh, beat Tulsa. Uh, 8-1 Tulane, 5-0 in the league, 7-2 UCF, 4-1. The Knights move up in both uh, polls, college football playoff rankings tomorrow. Tulane as high as, uh, what, uh, 16 in uh, one poll. Uh, and game day after to go to Austin. 
unbeaten TCU against six and three Texas. Uh, they were there earlier this year for the Alabama Texas game, but they're going back to Austin instead of Tulane. Why I don't know, but it's a good win uh, for UCF, and now it's the next big game for them to uh, play at Tulane. Which, if you'd said a few years ago, UCF Tulane's a big game, you'd have been like, huh? Uh, but Tulane's good. Uh, Michael Pratt from Deerfield Beach down in South Florida is a really good quarterback. they got not one but two really good running backs, and their defense uh, in conference play has been the best defense in the league. UCF nationally has got better numbers, but in conference play, um, Tulane's been really good. Uh, They beat Kansas State. That's their big non-conference resume win, and um, it's a a huge spot. UCF wins, uh, then again, they cannot fail to make the conference championship game. If they beat Tulane and win the final two games, then all tiebreakers would still give UCF a spot in uh, the title game. So it's a good win for Gus as far as who plays quarterback this week. That's for Gus Malzahn to figure out and decide, and fans will have fun with it throughout uh, the week. Uh, Okay, full disclosure, uh, again, Georgia-Tennessee took place during the UCF game, and then we took off... Uh, second, end of the second, well, yeah, just four half of the Miami-Florida State game. And we landed, and it was one of those turn your phone on like, oh, oh that got ugly. Uh, so I saw little of the Florida State-Miami game. Mike played a clip earlier today of Mario Cristobal about, you know, it it stinks and you got to rebuild. Chris, let me know if you find that clip there. And I'm not picking on Mario Cristobal. We do this all the time with first-year coaches. We do. When when they have seasons, as you get to the back end of a year, where you see things turn and feel better about yourself, then you go, all right, well, the future looks really good. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. Billy Napier may end up being in that spot where the year ends and he's got some momentum. you know. And and that may even be with a loss to Florida State. They may lose a competitive game in Tallahassee and finish 7-5 and five and go to a bowl game. And you feel like, okay, you know, I see what you're doing. Mario Cristobal... Uh, is in that spot where it is uncomfortable. Miami, at the beginning of the season, preseason polls, they were 16th and 17th in the AP poll and the coaches poll. After a 2-0 start, they were 13th in both polls. 13th in both polls. Uh, that was based on Tyler Van Dyke and the end of the uh, second half of the year, really two-thirds of the year that he had last year. And the hiring of Mario Cristobal. And the buzz and everything about the U being back. And a lot of people bought into that. And then came the head scratchers. Middle Tennessee State. And then it goes on and on and on for Miami. And now they're 4-5 and and annihilated by Florida State. Just beaten, dominated up and down the field by Florida State. And all Mario Cristobal can do, which he did in the post game, uh, was just say, "Hey, you know, got to build, got to build, got to build." And I do think, as Mike brought up on the bridge, you kind of wonder if your players check out when you get the vibe that he coaches like, "Hey, there's nothing I can do about this season. We'll try each week, but we got to get, you know, got to recruit, got to get players in, and and that wears on guys that are there going, so we're done." And it will be interesting to see what happens to Miami, who is an underdog at Georgia Tech this week. Um, And then what kind of changes Mario Cristobal makes about guys that leave, that he wants to leave. 
He's got a great recruiting class now, and you always wonder how that holds. Uh, Here's a clip of Mario after the game. Big plays were the story. I think they had five plays for over 240, 250 yards. You know, so we got work to do. We got to build. We got to build, man. I knew it, but we got to build. Stuff like this just ain't. That ain't it. I'm not really criticizing him because, again, there's a reason why coaches get hired when the last guy didn't get the job done. Okay, I mean, sometimes you take over a successful program because somebody opted to go to a different job. Um, but Mario came into a program where Manny Diaz got fired. And they want their fingerprints all over it. And we'll tell you, we got to get better this, 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 this. By the way, we're going to play 12 games this year, and I'll try to win as many games as we can, but it's going to take more than one year of me coaching a group of guys that I may not want some of them to get other guys that I want in here, and that's tough. That That's where that narrative gets lost. The other side of it is for Florida State, good for Mike Norbell. For a football team now that has basically his fingerprints all over it, not all five recruiting classes, but a team that clearly now likes playing for him, a quarterback that can make some plays, a couple of running backs that make plays, a defense that's played much better, and a team now that could win its remaining three games. And could win nine games. They're a road favorite at Syracuse this week. And then Louisiana and then Florida. And talk about building that momentum. So, absolute dominating performance by Florida State. And back in one of the polls. And with a schedule that probably will keep Florida State in the polls. um, With the games they have in front of them. We'll get to a little bit of the national story coming up with Houston Nutt, who is the guest speaker tonight at the Orlando Touchdown Club at the Tap Room at Dubstred. You can learn more by logging on to orlandotdclub.com. That's orlandotdclub.com. Still got a few guest speakers coming up the rest of this college football season. Andrea Adelson, Charles Davis, Tony Barnhart, all are still to come on the schedule. Go to orlandotdclub.com to get more information. Uh, tonight, UCF basketball begins a new year. They'll take on UNC Asheville. Our coverage begins just around 8 o'clock. Tip-off will be about 8.20, There's a women's game before Magic basketball against Houston. Tonight is on 104.5 The Beat. And so the Magic, after the great win against Golden State, get beat on a half-court just inside a half-court shot, but DeAndre Fox and the Kings beat the Magic. But I say I said DeAndre Darren Fox. Um, wow, that weren't was, they up by like was, what nearly twenty? Yeah, yeah. And Paolo had a great game. Franz Wagner <sighs> had a great game. And and you, all right, here comes another home win. And then you're like, oh, oh, ah. Um, winnable game tonight, though. I mean, and these are ones you got to win. Uh, so look at the Rockets tonight for Game 3 of the seven-game uh, homestand. Tom Brady was happy. He may have saved his season last night as the Bucks get a win. The state shined in the NFL field. We'll talk about some of the pro-action next. The Beat of Sports, we're brought to you by our good friends at Greenway Ford and Greenway Dodge. Black Friday now 
Uh, Greenway Dodge and Greenway Ford take 50% off manufacturer-suggested retail markup. One location, 2,000 vehicles available. Visit or shop GreenwayDodge.com, GreenwayFord.com. We complete satisfaction. Our commitment, Greenway, the only way. I say this a lot, um, and, and these days I've done it more in football, that it, it, it can be a very complicated game, but sometimes it's not. People try to sound uh very terminology filled in their discussion of football and breakdown, cover two and three and A gaps and B gaps, and that's all fun and trying to press your friends. And sometimes you might know what you're talking about, and sometimes you don't. Uh, and then sometimes it's just about go make plays. Um, and you could sit and watch an NFL football game, and then something happens that you're like, well, wait a minute, what? <laughs> How did that just go like that when for the other 59 minutes it didn't go that way? So the Bucks are playing the Rams in a game that, if we're all honest, it wasn't really a very good football game, was it, Chris Baskett? Ugly. Um, and just stop and think about this. Remember last year as the Rams were making the run to win the Super Bowl, they played the game against the Bucks in Tampa, the Bucks are defending Super Bowl champions. You're still thinking about a repeat, and the Rams are kind of trying to win these games on the road against everybody. And you know, that wasn't one of the greatest playoff games, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty good, okay? And here we are now a, a, a year later, not the playoffs, but uh, the Rams look like they're a mess. Um, all the love of Stafford is like, oh, isn't that the guy that kind of played at Detroit the way he's playing right now? We all know about the Bucks and Brady and what's going on there. And you're watching going, these teams aren't good. <laughs> this isn't even fun. And and, and even, even even Nance and Romo, and if, and if you're wondering why that Fox game was not Fox, uh, this year each network got to pick X number of games that you would think is an NFC or AFC match, and the next year that's all off the table. Next year it's basically an open draft for uh, CBS and Fox with games. So anyway, uh they're trying to figure out ways to make it be like, oh, you know, it's great, and McVeigh, and I don't know how many times Tony Rowe was like, you know, it's hard to find play callers like him. Well, where did he go? Because right now this is just hard to watch. But here it is, drop pass after drop pass by the Bucks, and, and if you're a Buck fan watching that before the last drive, right, you're thinking, what has the last month been like for the Bucks? Okay, just bad football. Uh, Tom Brady on the field, off the field, drop balls, everything, right? And then, and then the Rams, okay, after a fourth down stop, the Bucks go 12 plays, four minutes, give the ball back to the Rams. The Rams, what? The Rams run up the middle for no gain. They run Cooper Cup, which is the one play that you thought, all right, well, McVay's trying to do something, but he slides and marked the ball back because he gave himself up, which was a key play. And really, you could criticize Cup for not knowing that rule or whatever he did because he could have got more yards. Well, I think at that point he was just trying to stay in bounds and he keep was. the clock yeah, running. Yeah, right. Um, so now it's third and five, and they're up the middle. And I'm sitting there saying, look, McFay's got a Super Bowl. Not a large group of coaches have that. You're trying to win on the road, but a very important game for you to stay in your division race it's third down and five. Well, if I throw the ball, it's an incomplete pass and stop the clock. How about if you have the mindset of trying to throw the ball to win? 
to get five and a half yards. Now, easier for me to say, armchair quarterback, but it just kind of felt like, hey, we'll just run and hope we get the first down. If not, we'll we'll give the ball back to to him. <laughs> okay, I don't care how bad his month has been. It's him. <laughs> I don't care how many drop balls his team has had. Right? It's him. So they punt. You know, all right, we'll give it a break. Let's see what he can do. Okay. Let's just throw it. Kate Otten. He'll make the first catch. Um, He'll pick up 28. Clock it. Leonard Fournette. All right, that little bit. Scotty Miller. Then drop it. Got 14 to get to the 14. Scotty Miller. Uh, Then the flag on Mike Evans in the end zone. And then Brady's like, all right, well. (laughs) Hey, what's your name again? Kate. All right, just just let's go run this and touchdown. I mean, good for Brady who showed you how much he loved it after the game by telling you it was bleeping great. Um, and I to say it saves the Bucks season. I don't know about that. In that division, they're back tied for first, where you might need to just win nine games. Uh, but yeah, he does in a way save the season. If you lose, it just kind of steamrolls because then all of a sudden you had the media yesterday before the game and then even on the pregame shows like yeah people wondering about Byron Leftwich and it's like okay the snowball there maybe not everything's solved but that's what Brady did for you and and now you look at the Bucks schedule you're like yeah okay I guess they could be you know this and that and seven and six go three and one the next four games and that's what one game uh, can do for you but I just thought the Rams are like okay Boy, boy, genius here, right? You know how you when uh, teams are when they're out there trying to protect the lead, they play the prevent defense, and you know we always say prevent defense prevents the win. Yeah, I feel like the Rams were running like a prevent offense, like it's predictable, like you know what's coming. I just think sometimes, like know the room, it's like <sighs> I don't want to give the ball back to him, and you have one of the best receivers in the league. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I said this to Mike on the bridge uh, about Tua. There are certain players that when people want to believe they're right about, they'll never change their opinion. They'll never give credit, you know. Uh, and I think for Tua critics, that's the case. Since he's come back, and yes, he had a couple of boneheaded plays yesterday, but since he's come back from his injury, he's been really good. And the Dolphin offense is good. And you can't do this. And I forget which network I saw this yesterday. It was like, well, yeah, you know, two is playing much better. But then again, they got Tyreek Hill. Right. That's what teams do. You know, you try to acquire talent that allows players to succeed. So (laughs) you can't do that. You can't go, well, he's not very good because he didn't have players before. Now he has a healthy Jalen Waddle and he puts one of the best playmakers on the other side. Yes, that's what you do. You get talent, and that's what he's got. And yes, he's playing better because he has talent with them. So, for two critics, there's nothing that's going to change their mind. Uh, it's a good road win for Miami. Uh, the Bears are wasting Justin Fields' talent. I think I don't know how good of a passer he is. He's fun to watch run the ball, but if you don't get him help, then. He's going to end up being a guy that just runs the football a lot. Now, I know, okay, they made a deal recently, but uh, we'll see. But it's a good win for uh, the Dolphins. Uh, the Jags proved that the Raiders maybe hired someone that's not a good head coach. Right? I mean, 
the Jags rally and win. Good for them uh, after the way they've lost some games uh, recently. Um, the Packers, Chris Vasquez does not like Aaron Rodgers for some reason. Can't stand him. And wow. Wow. 15-9 to a really struggling Lions team. And the Packers now sit at 3-6. and six. Again, the Vikings are up by 5 in the loss column. And they've only played eight games. They're up by five in the loss column uh, already. Jets beat the Bills. All of a sudden, Josh Allen says his right arm. He's got some pain in that. And now you've got Buffalo 6-2. and two. The Dolphins and Jets are 6-3. and three. The Patriots are 5-4. and four. That division's fun now. Huh? That's division in football. That division is fun. Really fun. And the Seahawks are 6-3. and three. And... Kyler Murray can go back and play video games because this year is over and he'll probably be a new coach next year. And then last night, the Chiefs beat the Titans in overtime. Chiefs went for it on fourth and one in field goal range in overtime. Didn't want to give the ball back. Had to still set up for the field goal and then realized, oh, wait, the Titans don't pass. So we're okay. <laughs> we we have no threat here. Malik Willis will have to run around and beat us on an 80-yard run. Uh, so I think we're going to be good. And as long as we stop Henry, who only carried it 17 times, not like he carried it 35 times, but Malik Willis was 5 of 16 for 80 yards. Just compare, wait, wait. If I tell you before the game, hey, these are the stats of the two quarterbacks. Malik Willis, 5 of 16 for 80 yards and three sacks. Patrick Mahomes, 43 of 68 for 446. You think the Chiefs win 49 to 3? The game goes overtime. <laughs> And it was low scoring. And it was low scoring. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Travis Kelsey targeted 17 times last night by Patrick Mahomes. Houston Nutt will join us. The former coach, now CBS College Football Analyst, guest speaker of the Touchdown Club tonight. We'll get some national college football with him next. The Beat of Sports, Mark Daniels. Brought to you by our friends at Southeast Steel. Need appliance for the holiday? No need to wait. Find the best deals all month long during Southeast Steel Black November sales event. Zero percent financing, rebates up to $800 exclusive to Southeast Steel. Check them out, downtown Orlando. Find them online at southeaststeel.net. At Southeast Steel, you get the best deal. Um, Tennessee Georgia football game certainly impacts the college football playoff race. I don't know if it eliminates Tennessee. Um, and yet you can't kind of wonder about the scenarios that play itself out. And we'll see. Clearly Georgia's in a spot now where I think if Georgia wins out in the regular season, they're going to get into the playoff. We'll see what happens uh, with Tennessee. Uh, tonight at the Orlando Touchdown Club, uh, the former college coach, now CBS College Football Analyst, used to notice the guest speaker. And uh, you can get more information at com. We always enjoy catching up with uh, uh, the coach. Coach, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing fine. All right, I'm going to start here. Listen, before you even get to uh, Georgia and Tennessee and Alabama LSU, Coach, I'm sitting there on Saturday, okay? Play-by-play voice of UCF. Here's Gus Malzahn. He's got a big spot in the game, Coach. He goes wildcat. He's got his big back, Isaiah Bowser. He gets a snap. He takes a step. 
and throws that little jump pass to uh, one of his tight end uh, for a big touchdown. That has flashes of Darren McFadden back in 2006 when Gus was on your staff, where I went back and looked, and Darren was 7 for 9 that year throwing the ball. (laughs) Yeah, those are some good memories. Darren McFadden was a a special talent. My brother recruited him um, out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and um, uh, he he mentioned to Gus during during two-a-days that if you really want to make this Wildcat go, uh, instead of having a quarterback do it, have a guy that runs four three who had, who actually played quarterback a little bit. He had skills of he can hand it, uh, he can run it, and he can throw. He has a natural throwing motion, and so uh, Darren was a. It, it just fit him to the T. You got Felix Jones coming across and lightning motion, and you had Peyton Hillis and Marcus Monk, and so yeah, it, when you see flashes of that, uh, that that's fun to watch. I went back and I looked at the 2006 game against Tennessee. Uh, it, it, it looks like the exact same play Gus called on Saturday um, at uh, uh, at Memphis. What do you remember about Gus the year that he was with you at Arkansas? You know, we had uh, we had some good players, and we had a really good year. Um, really, uh, Tennessee, the game that you mentioned, uh, I believe that was game day. Uh, that was there, and uh, just for exciting time, a lot of big plays, a lot of explosive plays, and um, it was just uh, just a fun uh, a fun time, you know, where uh, we were moving the ball, and when you, of course, when you got a, a good offensive line and you got good good supporting cast go to go along with them, Fadden, you know, it makes a difference. Uh, let's fast forward to where we are. A couple of really big games this past week in the SEC. Let's kind of work as the time uh, took us. Uh, the Tennessee-Georgia game. What surprised you the most about that game? Well, you know, Tennessee's been on such a roll. They, they were going up and down the field. This offense that Josh Heupel has been running is just so unbelievably fast. Every 9 to 12 seconds, the ball is being snapped. And... They were executing at a high level. Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt seemed like they were unstoppable. And when, especially when you watch the Tennessee-Alabama game, think, my goodness, all I see is separation. And so I expected Tennessee to get theirs uh, at Georgia. I knew Georgia would be a, a very hostile environment. But what surprised me the most, to answer your question, is the defense, the defense of Georgia. Wow. There was no space. They tackled in a bad mood. Uh, I, I, the disruption up front, you know, uh, they 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 got a couple of players back that that had been on the sideline. Carter being the main guy, man, he was just so hard to block. He put pressure on him and Hooker all day long, and so you got to give it to to Georgia. Their defense is so good, so sound, and offensively, you know, every time everybody. You know, when you look at Stetson Bennett, you think, well, they're going to have to get better. But all this guy does is win. He's won a national championship. And then again Saturday, he makes play after play after play. And if not with his arm, with his legs. Yeah, I mean, he's 68%. He's only got 11 touchdowns, but they got five guys that have three or more rushing touchdowns. And it's a pretty good tight end in Brock Bowers, Coach, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If the people hadn't seen this guy play, he may be the best football player in college football. And the reason I say that is 
you know, he, they got him listed as a tight end, but really, actually, if you study this guy, they can move him out to receiver. He can play H-back. He can play fullback. He can play tight end. And when he catches the ball, you better make sure you wrap him up because he, he'll run over you. Or, you know, there's a couple of plays where he splits the safeties. He out he out, he outruns the secondary on a couple of plays. plays. So he, he's just he, he, he's unbelievable. And then Darnell Washington also at about six foot six, six seven. I mean that tight end room is phenomenal. All right, LSU and uh, Alabama. Um, tell me why LSU won and why Alabama lost. Well, I tell you, let's go back to LSU's first game. Mm-hmm. LSU plays Florida State. And I remember sitting in the New York studio thinking, wow, LSU has a long way to go. And they really gave up that game with uh, with a lack of protection on the extra point, uh, on a field goal protection there. So, uh you look up, though, and every week, Coach Kelly has gotten his team better and better and better. And I think the main reason is you got to look at Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is a difference maker. And the reason that he's a difference maker is not only can he make the throws, he, he's very accurate. He doesn't throw interceptions, but he can fly. This guy can run. And when he can, when you have a quarterback that can run, it's like having a 12th man. And to me, he's the difference. Also, the difference is how much better the LSU defense has got. I really expected Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, and the receivers of Alabama, I expected them to score a lot more points versus LSU. Because I really hadn't watched LSU really after the first three weeks. And, boy, to see them the last couple weeks, wow. Uh, the improvement is just unbelievable. But to me, I I keep going back to Jaden Daniels. I I think he's such a difference maker. Coach, uh, look, no one questions the talent on Alabama's side, but it seems like this year there's some mistakes that you typically don't see. The penalties are averaging eight and a half penalties a game. That's the ones that are accepted and put in. And uh, if you add the ones that are declined, it's almost ten penalties a game. Can you have teams like that? I mean, it's not like you don't work on that, but but sometimes just have it and, and... to me, I think that's one of their factors, particularly these two games. And, and the closer games also against Texas that they could have lost. Well, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, it's so unusual to see a, a Nick Saban team to have that many. When you look up earlier in the year, 15 penalties, 17 penalties, 14 penalties, you know, it's unheard of. Now, to say that, if you look at the last couple of games, it's it's been cleaned up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Alabama had uh, several chances to beat LSU. Uh, again, in a very hostile environment, but uh, but you're right. You know, it's a little bit different. Uh, I know Coach Saban. I, I just can feel and see his frustration on that thing that that that's cost him a little bit. And you're right. Texas could have very easily won that game if Bryce Young doesn't have a Heisman moment with that escapability to go make the first down. They probably lose that game as well. So penalties have has played a big time factor. Uh, in this season, but I, I do feel like it's gotten better, and uh, it'll be interesting now that that they've lost two games. How Alabama will respond because they're they, they're usually not in this situation. Houston tonight will be the uh, speaker tonight. The Orlando Touchdown Club. Learn more at OrlandoTDClub.com. Be the taproom at Dubstred. Um, had explained Texas A&M, and I know this past weekend an outbreak of the flu, and, and sometimes that can lead to what happened there. But this has slipped really uh, away five in a row, and 
a top 10 team in the eyes of everybody. What happened? Well, you know what's amazing is, is if you look at the if you look at the teams that are at the top, Georgia, Ohio State. You look at Tennessee. You look at all these teams that are having success. TCU. It starts with the point guard, and what I mean by that, it starts with the quarterback. And when you look at Texas A&M, they were really, to me, they were unsure at, uh, at first. They had a had a uh, the job was between Max Johnson, Haynes King, and went with Haynes King. That didn't go well, so they moved in Max. And you had injuries. You had all these things that happened. And they're a little young. They're young at some spots. But we expected more. But to me, it goes back to the quarterback. And when you have a, a A-chain that you have to get the ball to, I think that's very important. He's a difference maker. But they lost another key uh, weapon, and that was Anaya Smith. And when you have injuries like that, then all of a sudden when things go bad, it's amazing. I, I can remember when things don't go right, the training room, is, it seems like it's full. Uh, then somebody gets arrested. Uh, then you get the flu. It, it just seems like it comes downhill. When it rains, it pours. And this, to, to me, looks like that. And um, there was a lot of great expectation. They ranked high as, what, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 early in the year. And... Um, Man, it has gone the other way, and it's, it's, it can happen. It can happen very, very easily. But uh, everybody expects more from Texas A&M, all the recruiting classes and, and different things. But uh, this is a tough year. Two final questions. I'm going to make this as generic to not pinpoint any particular school, or, or but but it, it's about a vacancy like Auburn. But in the SEC, and you coach there and know the league quite well, and then a few other programs outside, the politics – that surround a head coach that sometimes make it such that he doesn't have full control. And in an NIL pay-for-play world we live in now, what is that like for those that can only see from the outside where you may be a coach and feel you control your program, but there are important powers around you that want to play GM? Mm. Well, it's very tough, very difficult. Um there, there's only there's only one dose of medicine that works, and that's called WIN. You got to be able to win, and with the different rules. Remember, now I hadn't coached in ten years, so I, I don't even know. I'm sitting on the sideline with popcorn and coke, and I'm watching these coaches try to manage and juggle NIL, uh, transfer portal. Then uh, you talk about alums that won't get that wants to be involved. And especially since now that they're they're giving money, even more money now for the NIL. And I think we've opened up a can of worms that's really a tough, tough deal. I've always been for players to have money. I want them to have money. I want them to have a movie money, Coke money, and uh, go get you a hamburger and go to a movie. I get all that. And I thought that's what cost of attendance was about. Uh, but now that you get cost of attendance, and now on top of that, you get NIL, and to me, how many players on your team truly have an NIL deal? Usually it's going to be the Darren McFadden's and it's going to be your quarterback. It's going to be maybe, you know, a great defensive end or something. But um, I, I think it's, it causes such disruption because it's a natural thing. Oh, what are you getting? Oh, you're getting this. Oh, their offensive line over there at their school, they, they receive this. And then why come we don't get this? And it takes away from what? It takes away from maybe getting another rep, maybe catching another ball, maybe getting in the weight room a little bit more. 
And I, I just, to me, it's a different world of uh, it's NFL free agency, and it's 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 a legal way to go buy a player from the moment he, he is being recruited. And I just think it's a very difficult situation for a coach, and you you got to keep that locker room and that meeting room very very tight. And it's not easy, and especially if you ask some good questions about my team when it goes south and things don't go right, man, that that makes it so hard. Last question. I don't know what tomorrow's college football playoff rankings will be, and the only one that matters is the last one. But if somebody asks you, what do you think is the most important thing to look at when you are measuring teams and have to come up with a ranking, what would be your answer to that of saying, look, this really matters to me when I look at a team? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation with that question. And I, when I look at a team, I, I like to look at a, a team of how hard they play and how sound they are and does the defense travel. I think that's very important. A defense must travel. you got to have an offense that knows how to move the ball and take care of the ball. And I, and I love watching teams that play with that passion. Uh, in saying that, you know, it, it's easy to say, well, this team has this resume. And a lot of times teams can't control that because that's what's on the schedule. And so you have to go by what you see and how they're playing. Um, TCU, for example, I mean, Sonny Dykes has done a, a marvelous job. And he's sitting there 9-0. and And... You know, last week they were ranked behind a, a few teams that were, had had one loss. And so it's so easy to jump in that conversation and say, wait a minute, they're undefeated. And I, I think you and I talked about this several years ago. I, that's why I love champions. When, when, when you're a champion of your, of your conference, you deserve to be in the playoff. And that's why the, the, the playoff before, it's very, very difficult uh, when you have, you know, the big power five, and then you have some guys that are outside of that that are having great years that deserve a shot too. That's why this extra, this, this playoff, uh, uh, this playoff group that's coming, this new rule that's coming, is, is going to be. I think it's going to be awesome. But right now, this is what we have. So you, you're trying to, to me, you're trying to get the four best teams, the four best ones, and that to me means top to bottom, offense, defense, special teams. Who is the best team? And to me, that's what you go by. He'll be at the Orlando Touchdown Club meeting tonight, the tap room at Dubstrad. You can join us, go to orlandotdclub.com. Uh, still got some great guests lined up the rest of the season. Coach, thanks. Uh, uh, we'll look forward to tonight. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Houston Nutt, uh, the former college football coach. Good insight. A lot of things right there. Busy 11 o'clock hour kicks off with the news next. <laughs> Levita Sports, Bar Daniels, thanks to you tonight. It's good stuff there. Oh, yeah. I miss the days of Darren McFadden and Felix Jones. I went back and I was looking at that uh, 06. Uh, they won the SEC West, and um, yeah, McFadden and Jones both went over 1,000 yards. Darren McFadden was 7 for 9 through three touchdowns, had one pick. And I would just look it up. You know, YouTube can be amazing. I just Darren <laughs> McFadden passing. And, and somebody posted every pass of his college career and pro career, okay? And and there is 2006, and there's McFadden 
Uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, I just saw that place. So, so the Bowser throw to Stephen Martin is a great story. He's a walk-on, and Gary Paris and I were talking to his grandparents Saturday morning. The same play, snap, step, uh, slot receiver or tight end, uh, fakes out, cuts in, and he's wide open, and he just flips it up. They're like, I just saw that play. So <laughs> that's why I said, hey, about Gus back in 06 and everything. But, uh, yeah, some of those Arkansas teams were just really fun. And that's where, I mean, you're you're young, but people began to see what the Wildcat, like, just snap it to Darren McFadden, and he'll just run for 15, 20 yards. Like, were they, did they start it, or was it uh, Auburn with Cadillac? Uh I think Arkansas kind of did it first, but but that was I mean you saw that and then the Dolphins ran that yeah. the one year that no quarterback with uh, Ronnie Brown. Yeah, that's right? what I, yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking of. So yeah, uh, eleven o'clock hour. Wide Tim Orlando, WJRR HD two Coco Beach Orlando Sports Leader Mardiano's the Meet of Sports. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. In last night's Tampa Bay rally, in which the Bucks at least for a moment may have saved their season with a 16-13 win of the Rams as Tom Brady led the team down the field in the final seconds. Tom Brady becomes the first player in NFL history to throw for more than 100,000 yards in a career. Combines the regular season and the postseason over 100,000 yards. Uh, they put that graphic up. I don't know if I missed something. Now, I'm not saying it's not impressive. Was that talked about before the game? I don't know if it was talked about before the game, but when it happened, Romo and Nance were kind of talking about it, but that was in the middle of their game-winning drive. Right. It was like, oh. And then I did one of these, like, should I be really impressed? And I'm like, no one's ever going to get that, so I guess I should be impressed. It sounds like a lot. Okay, I'm impressed now. Well, and then they were showing the graphic of the next closest person to Brady was Drew Brees, and he's over 15,000 yards behind Brady. Right. Now give me the active guy, which would be Rodgers. And he's, I think he's forty thousand yards behind him. Yeah, it's kind of like a in in today's NFL, it's like someone potentially coming close to Emmitt Smith's record. It's, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, big win uh, for the Bucks, who, by the way, with that win, are tied for first in the NFC uh, South. The Dolphins won yesterday, thirty-five, thirty-two. Tua goes twenty-one of thirty for three hundred two and three touchdowns. More uh, big plays for Tyreek Hill. He had seven catches, 143 yards, uh, only eight targets. The point is, so when you get him, he's really effective. By the way, red zone this season, red zone pass attempts to Tyreek Hill. I I heard this. I think he's got. I think he's up to three now. Two catches, three attempts in the red zone. Yep. Yeah. What so, was our bet, by the way, with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill? What was our bet? Yeah, we had a bet. I think I had Tyreek Hill. Did I bet more catches for Waddle? I can't remember if it was catches or yards. Well, you're winning if it's yards. And probably slightly ahead in, I mean, Tyreek Hill's on a record pace yeah. right now from a yard standpoint. Uh, the Jaguars rallied uh, and beat uh, the Raiders 27-20. to Travis Etienne over 100 yards uh, for the Jags. The Raiders fall to 2-6. and six. The Jaguars get to 3-6. and six. With the win. Overtime last time of the Sunday night football game where the Chiefs beat the Titans 20-17. to Pat, Patrick Mahomes is 43 of 68. 43 of 68. How many times did the Chiefs attempt to rush the ball? Actual 
runs, not quarterback scrambles for runs. How many running attempts for the Chiefs? I'll say 15. Final answer? I feel like it's going to be a little bit lower, but yeah. 13. Ah, damn. 13 times. Patrick Mahomes scrambled and ran for six times, had 63 yards, including a touchdown. Derrick Henry, 17 carries. Had 115 yards, uh, but 17 carries on a night where rookie Malik Willis was 5 of 16 for 80 yards. Not exactly ripping it up. If you're the Titans, given how effective Derrick Henry Derrick Henry was running and how poor Malik Willis was playing, why is he not double up in carries? Uh, I think some people wondering that as well. AP College Football Poll, Georgia back atop as they're in the coaches' poll. Only two other teams getting first-place votes. In the AP poll, Ohio State got one first-place vote. In the coaches' poll, two votes went to Michigan. Uh, the polls agree on the top six spots of Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, and Tennessee, and Oregon. Um, they flop U- uh, uh, LSU and USC at 7-8. and eight. Uh, The college football playoff rankings will come out tomorrow. A little bit more in the national college football scene in uh, a little bit. Um, NBA basketball, the Magic are back in action tonight. Their homestand continues when they take on the Houston Rockets. Uh, the Rockets are 1-9 and nine and not good. This just in. <laughs> I, I had no idea. That they were 1-9? and nine? Well, the Magic are 2-8. and eight. Let's not get carried away here. Um, Jabari Smith has um, been... Eh? Uh, the rookie who was among those considered to be the first pick of the draft, and the Magic surprised a number of people by taking Paolo Boncaro. Jabari Smith is averaging 11 points. And six rebounds right now. Um, shooting 31% from the floor. That's not good. And in certain matchups has been outmatched and looks a bit overwhelmed. Paolo Boncaro, through the first 10 games for the Magic, has been their best player. And had a monster game against Sacramento, which the Magic lost on near half-court shot. And he's good. He's really good. And he'll get better. They just have to win a few of these close basketball games, which the Magic know and could be the difference of a team that could be 5-5 five and five right now, but instead is 2-8. But this is one of those games that you just you got to win. Uh, and uh, tonight the Magic will take on the Houston Rockets. That game can be heard on our sister station, 104.1. John Henry and his group at Fenway Sports own the Boston Red Sox. Uh, they do own Liverpool. But apparently it put the club up for sale. Uh, something it could fetch as much as $5 billion. You want to go Habsies on it? Habsies? Habsies? Yeah. What are you, nine? Come on. We'll split it. Um, I won't get into the complicated details, but <laughs> they bought this team. I think it was $2 billion in debt. They They transferred the debt to basically... The supporters, meaning that there's a division within the club that the fans own, which is how it's structured in, 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 in English football, and they transfer their debt to the fans, and now we're going to sell it for $4 billion and creatively maneuver their way around never having to deal with the debt. Um, but the franchise uh, is up for sale. MLS crowned a champion this past weekend, what some say maybe the best MLS match ever played. LAFC defeated Philadelphia. 
three nothing in a shootout, uh, tied at two after the 120 minutes of regulation and extra time, but stoppage time added to it. Philadelphia scored in the fourth minute of stoppage time, and then Gareth Bale scored in the eighth minute of stoppage time that led to the shootout, and uh, LAFC won three nothing in the shootout, and it's crowned uh, champions. Um, let's see. What else did I have here for you? Um, yeah, that's it as far as uh, the news goes. Uh, reminder, tonight UCF basketball. The Knights will tip off the season against UNC Asheville. Uh, tip is set for probably about 8.20, There's a women's game. They open up against Winthrop at 6. The men will follow about 25 minutes after the women's game is done. So our pregame will be somewhere before 8 o'clock. Magic basketball tonight on our uh, sister station, 104.5. The Beach, as they'll try to get a victory against the Houston Rockets. Uh, by the way, had a great conversation. One of our great UCF supporters came on the bus after the game uh, Saturday. You know, he was in a good mood, right? Yeah. And uh, Mike Mangalardi, a longtime friend of mine, big supporter at UCF. And on his phone, Mike is watching. It looks to be kind of like a... Um, like a conference or like an introductory press conference of something. And Mike's son is a partner of, I guess, one of the largest producers of pickleball rackets. Nice. They were debuting their new uh, racket. And they were in an event down at the Hard Rock in South Florida. Had like 3,000 people in the stream and, and, mm-hmm. and everything. And so we had a lengthy conversation about pickleball, Chris. So man, there we I, go. I'm sorry I missed that on that conversation. Chris is the pickleball expert of the staff here, and we were talking on Friday about the incredible explosion and growth, and now these pickleball leagues that have popped up, and, and from Tom Brady, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Mark Cuban, all investing in pickleball teams and leagues, and uh, yeah, there you go. We'll have to start one up in Columbia. Up? Is it down? We'll start one down in Columbia. Sorry. It depends how you hold the globe. Look at it that way, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll do a bridge playback in about 20 minutes, something Mike and I discussed earlier today. More the Monday edition of the Beat of Sports next. The Beat of Sports, Bar Daniels, brought to you by Gentry's Barbecue General Store. Chris Gentry, the fit master. Is uh, got a great deal for Thanksgiving. You can order your smoked turkey or ham now, and you pick it up on Thanksgiving Day. And I mean, you pick it up as it comes out of the smoker. I've done this before with Chris, as many of you have. It's unbelievable. It'll change the way you do Thanksgiving dinner. Please visit gentrysbbq.com. Uh, find them also on Facebook, and you can click on the link. You can order your smoked turkey, smoked ham, and of course, for all your grilling needs, stop on by and visit uh, Gentry's Barbecue General. So I was sending. Chris, a couple of pictures of the barbecue we had um, in Memphis. I love Chris. Chris Vasquez is sitting in. I love Chris Vasquez, too. Chris Gentry's a mm-hmm. Florida State fan. Good for him. But he went to ECU. Okay. So when ECU beats UCF, he sends me, you know, a friendly GIF and text. Then Liberty beats Arkansas, and he goes... You know, I lived uh, uh, 30 miles from uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Go Liberty. I'm like, okay. <laughs> How many teams we got here? What's your name, O'Neal? I mean, like, what's going on? <laughs> like, what's going on here, okay? 
I can kind of excuse the I'm from so and so. I grew up here, but now it's like you know a little bit too much and stuff like That's, that. Yeah, it sounds a little bit Jerry O'Nealish. Let me play you a clip because I I <laughs> this is so I mean this was so predictable, and it's only going to get worse if something else happens. Okay. The great and the worst thing about 24-7 news and sports news cycles is that you have to fill the content, okay? And sometimes it's so predictable. We build things up and we break them down. We build things up and we crush it. We build things up and then we get tired of it. And we build things up and we hate it. It's just, it's like shampoo and conditioner. Wash, rinse, repeat. Um, Alabama has now lost two games. And whatever model you look at about uh, playoff predictors and all these things, it's hard to envision seeing a scenario that gets Alabama back in the playoff mix. Not impossible, but a lot of weird stuff has to happen. So Alabama's lost two games this year. They lost to Tennessee in an incredible game, and lost to LSU, same deal. LSU goes for two. Now, I know they could have lost to Texas, but they didn't because Bryce Young played like the great quarterback and Heisman uh, Trophy winner and let him down the field, and they scored. Could have lost to Texas A&M, but they didn't. But now they've lost a second game to an LSU team that's gotten better as the year went along. That's not that far removed to getting blown out, though, by Old Miss, who, by the way, plays Alabama this week. And here, here's the disclaimer. I've always said that Paul Feinbaum is a master at what he does. He's an entertainer. He is, and, and he's excellent at what he does. Paul was in the right place at the right time to get a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go from the incredible columnist and author that he was to take the job at the, uh, uh, on the SEC Network where he took his very successful local and statewide radio show and even beyond the state and jumped to the SEC Network. And the best thing that ever happened for the conference, the network, and Paul was Alabama's dominance. If there were... Five different teams that all shared in Alabama's run the last 15 years. It's not that the SEC would still be the best conference talent-wise, but the SEC network has benefited by having a dynastic team that you love or hate, respect, appreciate, but if it's not your team, then you can't stand them. And Paul's rode those coattails, as anybody would have loved to have done and became one of the biggest pom-pom holders of Alabama football. And then when there's a tiny little crack, it's time to put on the fangs and bite back. From Get Up This Morning on ESPN, here's Mike Greenberg asking Paul Feinbaum about Nick Saban and the job that he's done this year. And yes, as the, as the graphic below says, is the era of Saban dominance over? He's out uh, for the most part of this year. There's an 11% chance or a 17% chance. In other words, there's no chance of Alabama getting back in. And what does that mean, Greeny? That means this will be the out of the last five seasons, Nick Saban has one title. That's, that's a career for most people. For Nick Saban, it feels like that window is closing tightly now. It, it, maybe there's a crack in this dynasty, but you can't claim a dynasty when you when you have one title in the last five years. 
And in the meantime, you were talking yesterday about their, their, their failures on the road. They don't win road games. And how about the coaching? What have you seen from the coaching in them so far this season? I think this is the worst coaching job that Nick Saban has done at Alabama in 15 years. Now, you compare that wow. with, with six titles. Uh, that may not be saying very much, but four times this year, Greeny, four times he has been outcoached by the other team. Two of those against Texas and Texas A&M. They pulled it out on the final play two times against Tennessee and Josh Heupel, and obviously Saturday against Brian Kelly. They lost on the last play. Okay, a couple things going on there. One, that's... He's out. Uh, for the most... <laughs> okay. Uh, that's Paul playing the role, okay? Uh, also, it, it it's a producer telling Feinbaum, give me something good here, okay? So so turn it up on, on, on Saban. But, okay, this is what we do. And I'm telling you right now, they may lose to Ole Miss this week. I mean, Lane Kiffin's got a pretty good football team. They may lose. And you do wonder, now that Alabama doesn't really have that to play for, but the playoff looks like it's out. Uh, they don't control their destiny in the SEC West. What that does to the players, that that's all they knew. I mean, Saban is in his postgame talking about, we still got a chance to win double-digit 10 or more. We've done that since 2006. And it's like, wait, that's, uh, that's not Alabama talk and everything. If they lose this week, there'll be more critics that'll go, you know, he's 71. And... You know, in this NIL world, maybe it's just not for Nick anymore. And that's going to play. Because you know who they did that to? Who they do that to recently? They started saying that about Mike Krzyzewski a couple years ago. I don't think he's going to want to be part of this whole NIL deal and stuff. And, uh, And his health and everything. And I'm it, why? Because that's what we do. Okay, you fill airways, you fill shows on TV, talking head shows. You got to have a hot take. You got to have this and that and so forth. And by the way, I'm not saying that it's not true. I do think that some of the advantages that Alabama has had over the years, they don't have as much. I mean, Kirby Smart has matched the formula of Nick Saban. Great recruiting classes. Uh, reload, have the best depth in the country. And you win national championships. And he may be on his way to winning a second right now. And there are very few programs that can match it. Ohio State at that level. And I'm not quite sure if there's a number four in that group right now. Clemson looks like it's stepped back a little bit. Obviously the change at Oklahoma. Uh, Michigan, I don't know if there's enough because of last year's good run. But then they got beat up in a playoff game um, by Georgia. But you could begin to see it. I have no idea if, if, if Nick Saban's dominance is over. I do think, as I asked Houston Nunn, this does seem to be a team that makes a few more mistakes than most Alabama teams of the past with penalties. If you want to do the deep dive into some of the advanced analytics, um, this offensive line has been average and at times below average. Um, and, and, and you can see some other numbers that jump out. Their secondary in a lot of cover schemes is not it's like in the hundreds in the country. Uh, so I'm not saying it's a great team. Last time I did check, and I think I will, uh, you can go back because I said earlier today when people talked about Miami and where they were ranked to start the year, and the Canes were 16th and 17th, 
uh, before the season, Alabama was, oh, that's right, they were number one by a long shot. <laughs> um, they had 54 first-place votes in the AP and coaches poll. Ohio State had six and five, and Georgia had three and six. So a lot of people thought they were the best team in the country. But we do it all the time. When the team that consistently is there and they show a little bit of a crack, then you begin to wonder. And like Paul said, well, he's only won once in the last five years, and that is a career for coaches. But when the standard is what it is, I'm in Alabama. I'm not saying that they should not be criticized for things, but you can just see it. One more loss. Well, you know, I don't know if it's still there and all of a sudden and the advantages in this school and that school and everything. I mean, Jimbo Fisher thought he had caught up. Not quite sure that's the case, yes, even though they had a chance to beat Alabama. But it is interesting to watch particularly this week's game and what happens um, there. We'll talk tomorrow about the playoff committee and what they'll do going to tomorrow night's rankings. Um, and again, we still got three exciting weeks left. right? We just said, let, let it keep playing itself out. right? The Clemson thing, it, it kind of played itself out with what was a dominant Notre Dame performance. Remember the start of that season about Marcus Freeman? And now the Irish, my guess, will... I think tomorrow night Notre Dame is probably going to be somewhere around 20 or 21 in the college football player committee's rankings um, because I think the committee will look that favorably of the win by Notre Dame and how they play the last uh, month of the season. We come back, a bridge playback, something Mike and I talked about from earlier today. We'll do that next. There's a um, there's a, a little Twitter buzz going on because uh, this morning Dan Patrick on his show said he he said that San Diego State would be joining uh, the Pac-12 as early as this week. Um, I'm not telling you that the Pac-12 hasn't thought about San Diego State. Um, I'd be really surprised if it happens this week. The priorities of the Pac-12 right now, or one, there's a California Board of Regents meeting coming up that is supposedly reviewing the UCLA planned exit of the Pac-12. Now, they don't control USC. It's a private school, but, I mean, UCLA, there's some that think that they could block the move. Um, Many think it's just optics to make it look like they're looking at the numbers and so forth. Um, I am questioning Dan's source here. Uh, Dan also predicted um, Notre Dame was going to the Big Ten. He predicted that the SEC was likely going to take a couple of Big 12 schools. I think it's Ofer's last four on conference expansion and realignment reports. So he he might get this one right. Um, But, um, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure about this one. I will say this on another a story: the, the 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 Gonzaga stuff that came out last week. Uh, there's there's not much there at all. Um, a lot of people ran with that headline. Uh, Brett Yormark met with the AD at Gonzaga. I don't think they ever got to anything regarding membership 
other than kicking around ideas of trying to say, what are you thinking about doing? And I don't know, keep me in the loop and so forth. But um, I don't I, 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 I don't think that's anything that people thought. For a couple reasons. One, the American kind of went through this. When the American expanded and brought in Wichita State, Greg Marshall was the coach at Wichita State, and they were a Sweet 16 team every year. Then Greg Marshall got in trouble and got fired, and Wichita State is a team that takes an equal share of basketball money now. Those NCAA credits are not there uh, in the future. doesn't mean they can't get there. A very solid, supported program. Uh, the thing about Gonzaga is Mark Few's got it rolling, and doesn't mean that it won't stay rolling, but you you got to be careful. And remember, basketball and the new Big 12 deal is 20%. 20%. So... I'm not quite sure that story has many legs as people think. From the bridge earlier today, we'd like to do a mighty little bridge playback. Here's Mike and I talking about Florida State's dominating win over Miami. Florida State's playing much better, but Miami, I wonder if if that team has given up, Daniels. They, you got that Mario Cristobal clip that you guys played earlier? We have um, that? Yeah. That Mario Cristobal clip that we played earlier today about the... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he sounded like he's ready to give up. Did he not? Wow. Um, it, uh, um, I think Kelly's looking for it right now. It, it, it has the feeling of Ke- Kelly's got it. Got to play the clip. Big plays were the story. I think they had five plays for over 240, 250 yards. You know, so we got work to do. We got to build. We got to build, man. I knew it, but we got to build stuff like this. The same. That ain't it. Every first-year coach wants to avoid saying that after your ninth game because you hope that you've done enough to make your fans feel like, okay, I, I, I see where we are going. And Mario Cristobal has that vibe of there's nothing I can do for this season. So right? I have to just start planning for next year. And, Mike, to play off of that, and look, in defense of Mario, he does have to build. But when your coach says that, you wonder what your locker room's like. So what are we doing here then the last month of the season? <laughs> yeah. Now, Tyler Van Dyke it... got hurt again. Jay Garcia threw a pick, and they pulled him and never came back. Um, and they went to a true freshman. but mm. And it cer- certainly doesn't help Mario Cristobal's, the perception of Mario Cristobal, I should say, that Oregon is like playing lights out now. With Bo Nix as the quarterback. Right. Well, some will say, yeah, but look what he left behind there, so give him a chance to build what he needs to build um, at this place. Mike, they're an underdog to Georgia Tech, and, and you know, almost makes sense. Did Georgia Tech win on Saturday? They beat Virginia Tech, did they? Not? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What about Florida State, though? I mean, they're, they're running, they, they run for over 200 yards, four straight games. Jordan Travis... Looks really good. The receivers look good. Um, I said this earlier, and I don't even think it's an overreaction. I think they're going to run the table. I think they're better than the Gators. Obviously, I think they're better than Syracuse now, and then they have Louisiana in between those two opponents. I think they run the table. Well, again, we play this um, uh, game every week of what does the rest of the season look like, and and a month ago, the way Syracuse got off to that start, you would have said, well, that's a loss, and now uh, FSU's a road favorite at Syracuse. Um, and, and, and look, I and I think you're in the same boat. 
I give Mike Novell a lot of credit because I do. the stuff that he took from the noise outside the program, inheriting a program during that COVID year, couldn't go out and recruit, wanting to get rid of some players like Mario Cristobal is doing now, like Billy Napier is starting to do. You take heat for that sometimes, and you hope it works, and it takes maybe a little bit longer, but I think he's seeing the fruits of that work with having fingerprints on his team, a quarterback that does enough and makes some plays, a, a, a couple of backs that I think are pretty good, and a defense playing a lot better. And all of a sudden, now you start to win those games that he thought could go either way. And uh, You can catch the entire bridge at 96 com, or just where you get your favorite podcast, type in the bridge. And you can do that every day. Subscribe, and uh, whether you're listening live or you miss it, it'll be right there on your phone, which we. Really, really nice for you to have. By the way, on July 12th of this year, July 12th this year, Dan Patrick said Clemson, Miami, Florida State to the SEC. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, Dan on the show today said San Diego State to the Pac-12 this week. Maybe you'd be right. Once in a while, the pasta does stick to the wall. You know? I mean, I've been (laughs) wrong, too, but... When's the last time you threw pasta against the wall, Chris? I don't think I've ever done that. I had a college roommate once that uh, actually said, does it work, and threw it against the wall. Did it work? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to waste good pasta. No, 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 but if you have some spaghetti, you know, and you throw it against the wall, it'll hold. It also means it's done. Uh, we'll come back. A couple of items and notes and quotes before we put a wrap on a Monday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off-the-wall stories. Trends. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Colts fired head coach Frank Reich. Put up three points yesterday. So they changed quarterbacks, fired an offensive coordinator, and fired the coach. They've gone through, what, three different quarterbacks the last three years? Mm. Oh, well. Blame it on Andrew Luck. Yeah. Right? How dare he decide to retire somewhat healthy? <laughs> the nerve of that guy. Right? What are you talking about? Can't do something like that. Uh, we have Monday Night Football tonight. Ravens Saints. Chris Vasquez, quick thought. What do you got? Uh, this, I think the Ravens defense is going to show up. I don't think Andy Dalton's really going to get much of anything going. And Lamar Jackson, he's playing for a contract. And, you know, you hope he doesn't blow another... Big lead. He's, They've done a few times this season. I understand what you said. Lamar Jackson's no longer playing for a contract. Like, you think he's done in? No, 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 no. Or you think he's already solidified his contract? Well, I, I'm just saying. What else does anybody want of Lamar Jackson? Playoff wins. Okay. I, I, you know, I. I mean, am I wrong? Uh, I think critics are taking it a bit too far when they hold that and go, okay, I just need that. Because you're right, you're saying, I want them the resume. But to the best of my ability, you still have to play now 17 regular season games to get to the playoffs. Those games still matter to get you in position to have a deep run of the playoffs. So the 17 games have value. In, in the 16, now 17 regular season seasons that he's played, has he proven to be an effective quarterback that can win games? Yeah. Okay. But again, that's only regular season. I, I, I'm. You still have to play the regular I, season. Okay, I get that. So I don't know what else anybody wants. 
But, you know, at some point, you got to get over that hump. Or else you're just regular okay, well, stat uh, pattern. Uh, what's the hump? Going deep into the playoffs. How many years? One? In what? Three? Year How many you need? I don't, I mean, it, it, help me. I mean, prove that you can win in the playoffs. He hasn't done that. Okay, take him off the Ravens roster now. And? I don't know who their quarterback but is. But that's my point is, I understand the argument about showing the playoffs, but the regular season determines whether you make the playoffs, then how far you may be able to go by playing home games to some degree. So if you don't like that, your alternative is what? On a team that has a number of veterans built to win right now. So it's one thing you go, hey, window close, we got to rebuild, we'll kind of bottom ourselves out here, versus we've kind of invested money to win now. Then people go, well, prove it in the playoffs. Fine, take him out and tell me who you plug in and go, well, now we're there. What guy? You can't do that. No, you can't do that, which means then you draft the rookie and you build that way, okay? So that's all I'm saying about Lamar John. Win of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody won the Powerball, $1.9 billion. Want to go have these? No, but I was in Publix yesterday shopping, right? And there's a guy two, two spaces in front of me in the line. That goes, oh, man, I forgot to play. And you're thinking, right, because it was your time to win, right? <laughs> if you played Saturday, you would have won, right? He's like, oh, I forgot to play. Uh-huh, right. You would have had the ticket. Just think about that. I bought a, I bought a quick pick on Tuesday before the Wednesday That's drawing, right. yeah. and I bought a quick pick the okay. day before the Saturday drawing. Not once have I hit a number. Okay. Um, $1.9 billion. You could do the annuity over twenty nine years. The lump sum payout is before taxes is nine twenty nine. Well, I'm taking the lump sum. Okay, but then your taxes it, it, it'd be around five and a quarter. That's fine. That's, uh, yeah, but I was saying this to Scott last week. How many people that will buy a ticket just assume I'm winning one point nine billion dollars? Oh, I'm sure a lot of people think that. Of way. course they do. I'm sure, a lot of people think that way. I'm going to get a big check that on it says one point <laughs> billion. I'm going to walk into my bank and say, "Here, here's my big check. Now pay me my money." Yeah, one point nine billion dollars. Um, let's see. Black Adam was the top movie at the box office this past weekend. I'm sure, Scott saw it. I don't know if he did or not. Sounds like something he would watch. Um. Rashawn Gary of the Packers suffered a season-ending knee injury yesterday, and his teammate and other NFL players are asking the National Football League for help. Devondre uh, Campbell took to Twitter and spoke to the media yesterday, saying it's time now for the NFL to bring grass fields to every stadium. And um, we'll see if the players make this an issue, because... I believe it would fall into the needs to be collectively bargained. As crazy as that sounds, because you say, what about the safety for the players? And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there was a study done a few years ago that did not show a significant increase in knee injuries on turf fields, even though the players would say that they prefer to play on grass. There are some domes that you'd have to change the system. Now, yes, out in, uh, in Arizona, they have grass there. Um, 
but there are other stadiums that have the turf because of the dome, and obviously there are outdoor stadiums that have uh, turf as well. But well, there's been a little bit more of a push by players to ask for with, all fields to be grass. With Arizona, because I took a tour of their stadium a few years ago, they actually wheel that field in well, and actually out of two the different, stadium. Well, well, there's two different fields. Did you know that? No, I don't think they told us that. There's I'm, two fields. Because I know that they... Oh, 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 look it up. They'll show you the irrigation. They slide it out and slides over. The other one go, goes and slides in and slide out, slide over. It's a, it was cool. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, good interview with Houston Nudd, who's going to be speaking at the Orlando Touchdown Club tonight, which I will not be at tonight's meeting because it'll be UCF basketball game, but you could still go and uh, hear Coach Nutt speak and everything else that's on the schedule. Go to OrlandoTDClub.com to get more information. Now you can sign up to become a member. We've still got a number of great speakers the rest of this college football uh, season. Uh, tonight, Magic Basketball on our sister station, 104.5 The Beat. Uh, UCF Basketball here for their season opening game against UNC Asheville. Tip about 825-ish. There's a women's game before our pregame coverage begins at about 755 uh, tonight. Chris, thank you as always. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Scott will be back tomorrow with a Tuesday show. Matt Michelle will talk college football for his weekly visit and more. Thanks for hanging out. Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.